Well, today at The Journey, you would expect being Easter Sunday that we would be studying the resurrection, right? That's the normal thing to do. That is what normal churches do, and that is what they should do. What a great time to study the resurrection once a year, every Easter. Well, we actually uh, walk through books of the Bible. Sometimes we pause for the holidays like we did at Christmas time and hit the pause button in uh, whatever study we're in and, and do an Advent series to study the story of the birth of Christ and why that's significant. And there are times when we get to Easter and we'll uh, you know, pause and, and preach on the resurrection. But most of the time, historically at the journey, wherever we are at in the Bible is where we're at on Sunday morning you know, Easter. And so that's what we're doing today. We're in Mark 15. Now, we're going to be studying the resurrection. Make no mistake, we're going to be giving plenty of time to the resurrection. It's just around the corner. As a matter of fact, you keep coming back here, and in May, we are going to get to the resurrection. But we are currently still on Good Friday. We've been studying Mark now. This is our 60th week, and, and so today we're going to, we're going to get into uh, this, uh, the first 15 verses of Mark 15 and in a, an abbreviated version of that today, because it's Family Worship Sunday, but this is the Easter sermon, man. I gotta, gotta deliver on this. A lot of pressure on pastors right now, because everybody shows up for Easter, so you want anybody to come back, you better bring your A-game, pastor, on Easter, right? I mean, you gotta tell just the right joke, maybe manufacture just the right tear at the right time, you take people on an emotional roller coaster, Entertain them, all right? That's what we, what we got to do as pastors. We got to be captivating, have grabbing points, and it's got to be just the perfect length, right? We got to be the best version of ourselves today at the journey because it's Easter. We're going to dress to impress. I didn't wear a tie because I, I lost it. I let Nolan borrow it. But uh, we got to preach to impress. We got we, we to we nail this today. You know, that's why a lot of pastors are <laughs> burning out. Right? They, they get to these moments in the year and they're like, oh man, this has to be perfect. They got to be greeted at the door just right. We got to have some maybe some swag to pass out and you know, everything's got to go just right at, at church. And, and, and make no mistake, this week, when you get on social media this week, probably even by this evening, you're going to see highlight reels of different things that churches did on Easter Sunday. Because right now, across the planet Earth, man. It's Easter Sunday, and they pull out all the stops. I've seen highlight reels right after Easter that include, like, you know, the, the pastors riding as Harley Davidson across the, the stage. I've seen uh, highlight reels where, for some reason, there were people dressed as, like, velociraptors and dinosaurs running around the stage, and uh, I, I've seen just all sorts of different things like uh, drones dropping, drones or helicopters dropping eggs on people, Easter eggs, and people going crazy. And like, it's, it's just not our jam. It's just not our thing at the journey. Like the craziest we get throughout the year, uh, if you come back on Mother's Day, here's the craziest thing we do all year. We have a drawing for flowers. <laughs> They're pretty. It, it gets, it's off the chain. Like, if you come back on Mother's Day, whoo, you could win flowers. Well, five of you, because that's as much as we'll spend the budget. <laughs> uh, but honestly, it's, it's just not us. I, I try not to burn myself out trying to do ministry with perfection or preaching with perfection. It's painfully clear that I'm not perfect. <laughs> so uh, no reason for the facade. Um, but, you know, historically, the church doesn't behave like that. 
We kind of like old school church at the journey, and we think there's value in that. That's what has stood the test of time. A lot of the trendy uh, production style ministries, uh, it'll fade, it'll, it'll move on, and, and the, the church will remain though. But we kind of like that old school philosophy. Here's what we do at the journey. We teach the Bible, because in the Bible that's where the gospel is, and we, we teach the Bible so that you can hear the gospel and you believe that and, you, and you're saved from your sins. That's about as old school as it gets when it comes to Christian uh, Christians having church, but that's what we want to do, and so we're, that, that's what we're doing today. We're just going to continue our study of the Bible. This is where the gospel is, and this is what informs us as to what the gospel is, and, and so when you walk away from here today, hopefully you know the gospel a little, a little bit better. The gospel is something that's so simple, yet ridiculously complex. One of my favorite uh, sayings about the Bible and, and about the gospel is that, you know, it's uh, it's shallow enough for a child to wade, but deep enough for an elephant to swim. And that's, that's so true. So when you open up your book, uh, your Bible, the first book you see in there is Genesis. That's where the gospel begins. We're told that this world was created by God and that sin corrupted the world. And then when you get to the end of the Bible, the last book that Sarah just read from earlier is Revelation. And when you get to Revelation, we see that paradise is restored. The, the world has been, creation has been redeemed, and it was, it's restored back to the way it was before sin corrupted it back in Genesis. And so everything in between Genesis and Revelation, that's, it's informing us as to what the gospel is and how it works. That's an oversimplified explanation of, of the, the gospel. And at the center of this gospel is what we've been studying in, in Mark's gospel. At the center of this gospel is Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life. He, he died a sinner's death. He resurrected from the dead, and he ascended back into heaven. He is the creator who entered his creation and accomplished these things. And that's what redeems us. We get to see how the gospel works, and Jesus is at the, the heart of it. So that's, that's a lot to take in, but here's what's cool about Mark chapter 15, 1 through 15. When you understand the passage of Scripture that we are studying today, you will understand how this gospel saves you. Because that's a, when you're talking, oh, wow, well, he just, you know, uh, told us about Genesis to Revelation just like that. Well, that's how simple the gospel is. But it's also incredibly complex. And so when you see chapter 15 of Mark, you get a snapshot of how this gospel redeems you. And it involves three individuals. We're going to talk about Pontius Pilate, we're obviously going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about a man named Barabbas. And when you understand the circumstances surrounding Pontius Pilate, Jesus, and Barabbas, you get a snapshot of the gospel. You can know exactly how you are redeemed if you know the circumstances surrounding these three men. So, turn to Mark chapter 15. We're going to look at the first 15 verses. I'm just going to read the first five to you right now. Remember that Jesus, where we left off, has just been on trial before Annas, the high priest. He was accused of being blasphemous towards God. He was then on trial before Caiaphas and the ruling Jewish council called the Sanhedrin. They determined the same thing. Jesus is guilty of blasphemy. He is claiming to be the Son of God. That is blasphemy according to the Jews. But now he's going to be on trial before Pontius Pilate. And we'll talk about why that is. 
verses 1 through 5 says, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. That's the Sanhedrin. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Okay, so we're going to study Pontius Pilate. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about Barabbas. We'll get to in a moment. Let's talk about Pontius Pilate. Who was Pontius Pilate? Well, um, again, I'm going to sprinkle in details from the other Gospels. And I do something here at The Journey every single week. When I preach a sermon, I assign a homework text. I'll tell you, here's a passage of Scripture that later in the day you should read or tomorrow morning, and it'll help you understand what we studied a little bit more. Uh, I would actually read those today, but being a family worship service, I'm going to have a little bit more of an abbreviated sermon, so I'm going to assign two or three passages to you. But when you read all of these, we find out a lot about Pontius Pilate, this Roman governor, but we also learn a lot about him through history books and and, uh, historians like Josephus and things like that. But he was in charge for Rome. He was, he was the Roman governor that Caesar had in charge of, of places like Jerusalem. And he was, he was uh, told to keep order there. And so now, Pilate was not Jewish. He was Roman. He couldn't stand the Jews. And the Jews couldn't stand him. Pilate, was a, he was an arrogant fellow. He was the type of guy who would like to lord his authority over you, and the Jews knew that, and it caused a lot of tension between them. But Pilate's job was basically to do two things. Keep the Jews under control and keep that tax money coming in. Whatever you do, Caesar's like, I don't care how you do it. I don't want to know the details. You just keep them under control and then keep that money coming. And as long as you do that, we don't have any problem. Well, Pilate being the type of guy that liked to lord his authority over The Jews, he did cause some friction there. The tension was building. They couldn't stand each other. It kind of backfired a few times on Pilate when he would try to push the Jews around. They pushed back, and it caused some problems. And so now Caesar was getting to the point where he was putting some pressure on Pilate. Get them under control, Pilate, or I'll find someone who will. So get it done. Well, so that with that tension brewing in the background... These high priests that have been putting Jesus on trial, they need Pilate to put Jesus to death. Now remember, the Jews said that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. They want to execute him, but they don't have the authority to execute him. Because that's Rome, Rome reserved the right. We're in charge, if anyone's going to be executed, we'll do it, because we're in charge here. So they needed to bring a charge against Jesus that Rome would care about. If they went up to Pilate and said, hey... Jesus is guilty of blasphemy. Execute him for us. Pilate would be like, uh, so what? I don't care. I'm, I'm not a believer in your God. And so if you, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. Pilate was just as blasphemous as they were claiming Jesus was. So he could care less. So that's not what they did. When they took Jesus before Pilate to have him executed, they brought a different charge. That's your first homework text, is Luke 23. Luke chapter 23, 1 through 15, we're told the exact charge 
that the Jews brought to Pilate. I'll read to you a snippet from it. Here's what it says. We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to pay tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So when they took Jesus before Pilate, they said, hey, this guy right here, he's saying that he's king and he's telling us not to pay taxes anymore. Now you and I know, because we've been studying Mark for 60 weeks, now we know that's, that's a lie. What's one of the things that Jesus would teach uh, just recently taught in the temple just only days before this moment. He was in the temple and they said, hey, should we pay taxes or not? Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? He took that coin out and said, Who's, whose name is on that? Whose face is on that? Caesar? Oh, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He, he was telling people to pay their taxes and he was not trying to be this insurrectionist, right? But that's exactly what the Jews were telling Pilate. So Pilate had to do something about it. He would have dismissed the whole thing. But since they were saying he was a king trying to take over and kick Rome out, he had to address it. And so what Pilate does is he, he takes Jesus into his quarters there in, in a courtyard there within Jerusalem, and he interrogates him. If you want to read about that interrogation, I'll save you kiddos uh, the time, John chapter 18, 33 through 38, read that text and you'll see this in-depth view of what this interaction was between Pilate and Jesus. But here, I'll give you the gist of it. He says, hey, are you this king they say you are? Are you this king? And Jesus ha has a response that's it's like, well, you know, you have said so. But he's, he, when you read his response in every single one of the gospels, his response is more like this. Yes, Pilate, I am that king they say I am, but I'm not the type of king they say I am. If I was the type of king they say I am, I would have an army outside ready to rescue me. I would have a group of people with weapons storming this place and, and getting me out of captivity, but I'm not that type of king. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. He's explaining this to Pilate. And so in Pilate's interrogation, he's basically coming to the conclusion, well, you're not guilty of what they say you're guilty of. And so Pilate's amazed at this situation, these, these big accusations, and, and sometimes Jesus is silent, sometimes he's not. But all in all, Pilate can't find any guilt in him. That's the scenario on Good Friday. So you understand who Pilate is. Obviously, we understand who Jesus is. Where does Barabbas come into play? Well, I'm telling you, if you can understand and understand the circumstance between Barabbas, Jesus, and Pilate, you can understand a snapshot of the gospel. See if you can identify it. Let me read to you 6 through 15. Now, at the feast, he used, he, speaking of Pilate, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it, it was out of envy, circle that word, that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him released uh, to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate 
wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So we're told in the text, and we see this in other Gospels too, that every year at Passover, Pilate, as an act of goodwill, would say, I'll tell you what, you guys can pick any prisoner you want that I have of yours, and I'll release them. He did this as a way to satisfy them, to, to appease them. And so this was routine. Well, Pilate is a very opportunistic guy. You can read a ton about Pilate, so much I wish I could share with you this morning about him. But he, he's a very opportunistic guy, and he, he wanted to see, he saw this situation, this circumstance as an opportunity to get out of this jam that he feels like he's in. He doesn't think Jesus is guilty. I usually release a prisoner, so I'll put Jesus before them, and they'll pick Jesus, and I'll be out from underneath this guilt that I have. You know, I don't want to be guilty of killing an innocent guy. So here's what I'll do. I'll put Jesus up there, and I'll pick the worst prisoner I can find, and I'll let them choose between that guy and Jesus. So he finds Barabbas. We're told in the Gospels and in this text that he, Barabbas is the worst of the worst. He's a notorious prisoner, we're told in Luke. He's, he started an insurrection. He is guilty of murder. Don't miss the irony here about Barabbas. Everything that they're trying to accuse Jesus of being, Barabbas actually is. They're trying to say Jesus is an insurrectionist, that he's trying to gather an army and, and, and conquer Rome. That's what Barabbas has been doing. That literally is why he is in jail. He is guilty of what they're saying Jesus is guilty of, but is actually innocent. He has actually done what they say Jesus was trying to do, but hadn't. So knowing this, Pilate puts them together side by side just for that reason and tells them to choose. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Pilate's thinking they're going to jump on this opportunity. If the crowds love him like I think they do, they're going to jump all over this. But we see that the chief priests, they stepped in and they stirred up the crowd to release for them Barabbas. Those chief priests, they were manipulating Pilate to kill Jesus. Now they're manipulating the crowds to kill Jesus. You know, sometimes I, I, I'll talk to a lot of people who are non-believers. And one of their biggest complaints about the Christian faith or, or religion in general, they say, I can't, I, I can't stand religion it's just people trying to manipulate the masses. I can't stand it. I don't want to be a part of it, so I don't want to subject myself to it because I don't want to subject myself to that sort of manipulation. And, you know, I, I agree with that mentality, right? But that's such a generic argument about Christianity. You can make that argument about anything, right? I don't like politics because politicians, they use their power and authority to manipulate you into thinking certain things and create these false agendas and, and, and try to manipulate the masses. So I'm not involving myself in politics anymore. You can use that for any, anything, any movement, any institution, and it works because there's bad people in all of them. And there are people that do this. And when people make that argument about the Christian faith in particular, I wish that they would take the time to get to know Jesus. Because one of the things that he preached about the most, one of the things that irritated him more than anything else, were religious people who used their religion to manipulate the masses in, in an act of self-interest, in an act of serving themselves and just manipulating people to advance themselves in society. Jesus rebuked that over and over again. 
violently so, vehemently so. He would get in their face. He would say that your father is the devil. Go read John chapter 10 whenever he gets in their face and tells them that. And so Jesus had literally just been doing this in the temple right in front of them, rebuking. Rebuking those religious leaders for acting like that. If you feel that way about religion, you should really read about Jesus. He felt the exact same way. And so now those people that he rebuked over and over again, they did what they do. They're going to start manipulating in an act of self-interest. They manipulate Pilate in an act of self-interest. And now they're manipulating the crowds in an act of self-interest. They're tricking that crowd into believing what is wrong is right and what is right is actually wrong. And they're really good at it. And you should be, you should be aware of religion when it behaves like that. But Jesus would protect his flock from that repeatedly. So Pilate is dumbfounded in this moment whenever they choose Barabbas over Jesus. He just can't believe it. He can't figure out why they would want to kill this innocent man. That's why he says to the crowd, if you want Barabbas, then what am I supposed to do with this guy? What am I supposed to do with the king of the Jews if you want Barabbas? Because he's thinking in that moment, like, I can't just kill this guy. What do you want me to do with him? Another interesting point, if you go read in Matthew chapter 27, is that Pilate's wife, we're given this really unique detail in Matthew's gospel, Pilate's wife has a dream that they shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be participating in this. You shouldn't be killing this guy. And actually gets on Pilate like, don't, don't kill Jesus. Don't give in to this manipulation. Well, the crowd, having been manipulated, they're now yelling, crucify him. He says, what evil has he done? You can see, you can see how Pilate is trying to, to reason with this crowd. They shouted all the more. The more he tried to reason with them, the more they started screaming, crucify him. Because the religious chief priests, they had their claws in that crowd, and most of that crowd was comprised of that Sanhedrin. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, it says. Pilate released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. That's what it boils down to, wishing to satisfy the crowd. That's where it went downhill for Pilate. I'm not going to do... I'm not going to focus on right and wrong here. I'm just going to satisfy the crowd. You know, it says they had Jesus scourged. Your translation might say that he was flogged. So a scourge or a flog, when you would, when you would scourge or flog someone before crucifixion, strangely, that was seen as an act of mercy. Uh, some of this is, is kind of graphic, I'll, but uh, it's, it's the world we live in, kids. <laughs> when you would have a, a scourge or a flog, this was a, a whip of leather cords. At the end of those leather cords would be bits of bone and glass and metal. And the reason it was designed that way is so that when you would scourge someone, it was seen as an act of mercy before crucifixion because it would bring them closer to death. It would expedite their death. If you just hung someone on a cross without scourging them, without flogging them, they could be up there for days. So they scourged them to speed up that death. Because when you would be whipped with that, and those bones and the, that glass and the, that metal would stick into your side or your back, and they pulled it off of your back, the skin would come with it. And so there would be literally bones exposed by the time that they made it to the cross. And again, that was seen as an act of mercy so that they would die quicker. As a matter of fact, in many cases, a very high percentage of cases, 
people who were crucified or were up to be crucified, they'd never made it to the cross. They would bleed out in the flogging. It was something that the soldiers got to participate in for fun. And they would get carried away oftentimes, and people would die before they ever even got to the cross. Welcome to the Journey Church, kids. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, how does this give us a snapshot of the gospel? How, how does this give us a greater, greater understanding of how the gospel saves us? Here's what I really want you to see. This snapshot is so crystal clear. To understand the picture of the gospel in this moment, you need to imagine being Barabbas. Imagine for a moment being Barabbas. You are guilty of all the things they say you're guilty of. You're caught. You're busted. You've been put in jail, and there's no getting out of it. There's no jury. There's no lawyer. There's no appeal. It doesn't work anything like it works today. You're doomed. You are on the docket to be scourged that day and to be crucified that day day. You are going to die. Imagine being Barabbas and that being your fate that day. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, you're taken before a crowd. You're taken before the judge who was Pilate, who sat on his judgment seat, literally what it would, would have been called, and you're standing next to a man who is innocent. How do you know he's innocent? Because that judge is trying to reason with the crowd about how he's innocent. You are guilty of the things they're trying to say he's guilty of. But you, it, he's innocent. But in that moment, your, your punishment that you earned, that you deserve, is given to the innocent man. And you are made free. You are released. That's a snapshot of the gospel. Isn't the gospel amazing? You read the Bible and you get into the details, and then you see a, within the gospel pictures of the gospel. That's exactly how we are saved through this gospel. You and I, we are Barabbas. We are Barabbas. Jesus is perfectly sinless. We're not. We're guilty of sin. We're in the same predicament that Barabbas was in. When we stand before God, we are guilty before the judge because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because of the wages of sin is death. We are waiting for death. It is coming for us. And we live in this fallen world that often feels like a flogging sometimes, doesn't it? But like Barabbas, we are helpless to correct our circumstances. But for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ, when you stand before the judge, your punishment that you deserved is given to his son, Jesus, who was innocent. See, when you understand Barabbas, and now he was a guilty man that was set free, you understand how the gospel works in your life and how you are guilty, but you are set free through Christ. It's the same thing. And Jesus resurrects from the dead, though, defeating death for all of his people and its grip on us once and for all. He rose from the grave. We're going to be studying that in, in May in the, in the coming month. And through him, we too will defeat death. We too will resurrect. And we will be with God forever, free from sin. I hope you saw that snapshot today with clarity. Because if you meditate upon it, because if you believe it, because if you put your faith in it, you are saved by the grace of God.
seemingly out of nowhere like Barabbas, saved. Put your faith in that today as we take communion. Let me pray, and then we'll transition into that time. Lord, again, I thank you for this passage of Scripture that's just so remarkable, so incredible, a picture of the gospel within the details of the gospel. Lord, I pray that today each and every one of us would take time to focus on the circumstances surrounding your son Jesus, Barabbas, and Pilate, that we can understand how the gospel works in our lives. I pray that this would impact us in such a way that we would change, that we would be made new, a new creation through your gospel. Lord, help us as we contemplate communion with one another today that we will be encouraged and strengthened in our faith. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray.